0: Creative friends, this is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in work and artwork in life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas. And this is episode 18 The Secret Sauce is You. Oh, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, I'm coming at you two weeks out here uh, from the last episode. I am, but you know, the story about. Why I'm coming, you know, why I skipped an episode last week is kind of weirdly relevant to the episode story today. So I want to talk about that and um and also talk a little more about secret sauce, you know, in general, because by this point, I had been planning on having some guests on the the podcast I've had two in the pipeline um coming up soon. Jason had been on and is going to be on again. Um, also, I have this whole list of people that I want to reach out to, all the things. And and <laughs> just like cooking Italian sauce over the course of a morning and afternoon, just like my grandmother used to do, uh, sometimes the, the sauce wants something different than what you initially (laughs) planned um a little bit of this a little bit of that not necessarily in the order that you think and you sort of let the sauce dictate what comes next and so I've been trying to do that (laughs) while also feeling a little bit like you know chomping at the bit to like make this thing go in the direction that I had planned and fully trying to respect the fact that it wants to go slower. So so that's where we're at. And one of the things that has caused it to go slower is is me. Um, the secret sauce is you. And so I want to talk about that idea because, you know, when I had started this podcast, um, my my intention was to talk about the ways that I was navigating a world of making, um, making things, authentic things, like the things that were uniquely mine to make. And also talking about the stories that were helping me navigate some of the struggles, you know, and I wanted to talk to a lot of people about that because I'm fascinated by that, by that idea. Um, for example, Jordan from Growler Domestics, the furniture um, reclaimed wood um, fabricator, maker here in Austin, who is absolutely coming on to chat here in the next week or two. Um, you know, I, to me, his superpowers go so far beyond making beautiful work, which he absolutely does. If you, I remember I was talking to some people that I know about how Jordan was going to be on and I'm not going to say who they are in case they feel shy but they were immediately like oh that guy's so freaking cool you know that that's like this visceral reaction people have that know him he's this really warm friendly nice dude that literally like will walk into a room and just make everyone feel comfortable like i don't even know him that well and he's coming on the podcast like he's a bf because <laughs> that's and that's jordan like that's who he is to me that's a really great example of the secret sauce is, is jordan like if you separate jordan from his business and hand that exact same business to another equally talented would woodworker, fabricator, welder, whatever, it would be totally different because who Jordan is, is intimately connected to what he's making. And that's that intersection is what secret sauce is about for me. And the reason I was inspired to do a podcast on that topic is because weirdly, I was really wanting some help with that. <laughs> when I was starting out, I was really struggling with the intersection of who I was and what I was making. And there weren't a whole lot of resources available, if, if I'm being honest. I, I would go online or I would go to like workshops or, or listen to panels in Austin. And, and there was this plethora of wisdom on being a solar entrepreneur, being an artist who had a business, being a creative um, business owner. all But all of the resources were about technique. Like, how do you build a spreadsheet? Like, how do you do social media? And, and that was really helpful. And also, that was not what I personally was struggling with. What I was struggling with was that the minute my business started to take off, like really work in a way that was beyond what I had hoped for, I immediately started to have this equal, like equally proportional level of blowback in my personal life with my mental health, with my psychological health, (laughs) with my physical health. And it was like there was this weird, like something going on, but there was no one talking about it in a way that, like, really resonated with my experience, right? Like, I started to get this sense that I was deeply connected to what I was making and as my art business grew it was also shifting and stretching and pushing and pulling me Becca and I didn't know I didn't know what to do with that and Secret Sauce has been in some ways an attempt for me to share some of the stories that helped me navigate that time because there's there was no one else talking about that and I and I wanted to be a voice for people that were interested in in making something or following a dream that was, you know, risky and adventurous and scary, and then also help them like navigate this, this inevitable blowback that I think happens whenever you pursue a big creative dream. And so I want to talk about that a little bit more specifically in this episode. The the secret sauce is you. It's not what you make. It's not your art. It's not your music. It's not your sculpture. It's not your business. It's not the cars that you tinker on or the hair that you might style or whatever your creative outlet is. The culture has done this like fascinating job of really convincing, I think, the world that the value is in the thing. The value is in what you make. And my experience is the opposite of that. That what you make is attached to you. And yeah, what you make is great. <laughs> and it's 100% valuable because what you make in the world helps people and serves people. Um, all, like always, like even, even when we're not trying, just the simple act of putting things into the world serves people in some way, even when we're not trying. But there's this fascinating connection to who we are that is so ridiculously overlooked. And because it's overlooked, I think it's a huge part of one, why a lot of people quit following a dream. Uh, Two, they burn out. (laughs) Or three, they just completely like, oh, do you hear my voice stuttering? Woo, where did that come from? <laughs> um, sometimes when I'm like super channeling or like something like really awesome is like coming through, I can't catch the words <laughs> fast enough. Like the speed with which they're traveling through my throat seems to surpass my ability to like articulate them. <laughs> this is what was happening just then. Um, there's this, on a really cool tangent, because I feel like this is important for makers that are listening, Elizabeth Gilbert, the esteemed writer of Eat, Pray, Love, and Big Magic, and all these other books, gives this fascinating TED Talk, where she talks about interviewing Virginia Woolf. oh, I apologize if I'm messing up her name, she's a poet, watch the TED Talk, it's awesome, and she talks about how that she was interviewing her and this (coughs) and Virginia I'm almost positive it's her first name was describing how she how poems would come to her and she would say that she'd be working on her her family's land she lived on a farm and she'd be out in the fields working and she would feel the poem coming like like a train across the landscape which is such an amazing metaphor first of all and she knew that she had this limited amount of time to get home and get a piece of paper and a pen be and she had to get there before the poem hit her because the poem would come right through, and if she wasn't there to transcribe it, it would go off, you know on on to another poet ready to transcribe it, right? like this really beautiful metaphor. And she would talk about how sometimes she would get to the pen and paper right as the, the poem was coming through her. And so she would grab it like by the tail and pull it back into her body and transcribe the entire thing from the last word to the first, like per- imperfect, perfectly backwards, <laughs> which y'all that's just bananas. Like I, th- what a freaking amazing creative story. And sometimes when I'm doing these podcasts, I I really do get the sense that there's this thing coming through and I, I'm just trying to keep up. <laughs> So I completely lost track by the way of where we were at. So there so there you go. Um but I'm going to just kind of pick up where I feel like <laughs> because that's what we're doing. Um I I want to tell some stories about how I navigated this time ultimately because it was really It was it was a scary time in the beginning of working for myself, but it was only scary because there was no one talking about it, and in a way that resonated with my experience. And so I felt really alone. I think even the most challenging things can feel much less scary when there's other people around us that understand what we're going through. And so it's sort of with that agenda in mind that I want to talk about this idea of you are the secret sauce the secret sauce is you um and one of the sort of ideas that I'd like to posit before I tell this story is is one of sauce (laughs) so um if you're making sauce if the sauce is a metaphor for whatever you might be making in the world as your sauce reaches more bowls and more people get to consume it or be exposed to it or enjoy it the larger the container has to be the the, the more bowls you have to have or or the bigger the uh, the bigger a singular bowl you have to have like that that there's this deep intimate connection between you and what you're making and I want to tell a story about, I want to tell two stories about very different ways that I became aware of my connection to what I was making and very aware of the ways that pursuing a creative dream was almost not at all about what I was making and much more about how I was going to remake myself because they're connected. And it's not an, a totally new idea. Like, I was pretty connected to this idea because in grad school at the University of Texas, while I was doing my thesis research there, I came across this book that talked about this idea called The and Experience by John Dewey. And it's an incredibly hefty book to read. I didn't actually finish it, but I loved one of his main ideas and one of his main ideas was to really to really value and understand the value of anything that's been created <laughs> you have to understand the person or the experiences or the history or the stories attached to that artifact and he used Like an example for, I think, like of, and I I don't even know if this was an example he used, but this is an example I'm going to use. If you take like an ancient clay vessel from like, say, China, long, like thousands of years ago, that might now be residing in a museum. And there's two people, let's say there's two people looking at this vessel in the museum. One of them is a seven-year-old from Idaho. (laughs) I'm picking like a pretty middle America sounding state, I guess. Um, And then you have next to the seven-year-old a specialist who has studied ancient Chinese history, specifically pots. (laughs) Which one is going to value the the pot more? Um, It's not to say the seven-year-old can't value the pot. That would be wrong. It would be 100% wrong but but when you have more context about the stories and experiences and history attached to an object you understand it better this was dewey's idea and it bothered him that we so overvalue objects and almost nothing of the experience that we, that we like get these pots and we unearth them from the ground and we go put them in a museum. Like that. The pot is super special. It's, it's, and Dewey said it's not special. It's dead. (laughs) Like the thing that made the pot alive was the woman cooking over a fire thousands of years ago with it. That's what made it alive. Or her children like ladling sauce out of it and laughing over it. That's what made the pot alive in in the museum. It's dead. It's totally severed from any of the meaning that it once was connected to. And this idea that he had really applies to artists and their creations as well. And in kind of the same way as I was talking about with Jordan, right? Like he's, I'm already talking about him and he's not even been on the podcast yet, <laughs> but like I'm, you know, it, or, or me in my business or you with whatever you're making, if we remove you and put in someone else who has all the technical skills you have, it's still going to be a totally different expression because who you are is 100% a hundred percent, a part of what you make. You can't separate them. And so so, here, so I want to tell two stories about how I started to revise who I was as my business grew and I want to talk about what I learned and I want to talk about what that means for people making stuff right now because I do think that the culture overvalues technical skill, it overvalues product, right? And I think that does a huge disservice to, to new fledgling entrepreneurs, uh, new artists, any type of maker, any type of creative. And an example of why I think that does a disservice, um, I think of actually a handful of really wildly successful makers that I know here in Austin and, um, and very new New makers, like one year in, maybe, who are killing, her killing it, like <laughs> like huge followings on social media, selling you know tons of product, or or getting shows, or whatever, whatever their metric of success is, they're having it. And because of my fortune to have an intimate relationship with them behind the scenes, also knowing that they're freaking the fuck out. <laughs> you know, everyone on the outside looking in is like, oh God, it must be so amazing. They're like, they're they're so lucky. Everything's so cool. And for a lot of people, they're not enjoying it at all. It's really interesting. Um, and that's not to say that everyone's this way, but a lot of new people, a lot of people that are new to making things and new to creating a dream, and new to pursuing a passion, who have relative success doing it, will have this experience of freaking out. And part of the disservice that happens to new creators in the world is that we're sold this idea that if we have success putting our shit into the world, that we'll be be fine. And that's a lie because we're the container for the stuff that we make and if the stuff that we make gets bigger guess what we got to get bigger too and if and and because there's no conversation around us getting bigger and how to manage that and how to navigate that there's this I I believe there's this huge burnout fallout quitting all the things and so these two stories um, I think do a good job of articulating two ways that I navigated this feeling, this expansion, and the subsequent fear that my vessel was just going to break, <laughs> you know? Um, the first story is um, one I've told before, not on this podcast, but before I started Secret Sauce, I, I did this, like, um, alpha version of a podcast on SoundCloud, and I did, like, actually probably about the same number, like 18 episodes or so, very randomly, like, and it was like, I think entitled Thoughts I'm Having or something pretty generic. And I would share just stories of things that I was navigating with artistically and creatively at the time. And this story is about the first time that I was ever asked to do work for free. And It was a special experience it was really formative uh, for me as an artist and became this really important part of the foundation that i built my business on and i didn't totally realize that was what was happening at the time at the time i was so stressed out because i was i was pretty broadsided if i'm being honest by what happened um and and this is kind of this is kind of how it went down so i'd been working for myself for about a year and a half and I had partnered with a local business in Austin on a charity product that they were using to raise money for um, a good for a good cause and I had donated the illustration work for it. And this particular organization was connected to a national brand and somehow someone higher up in the organization uh, that worked for their national office in LA, saw the illustration work I did for them and they asked if they could reach out about doing some illustration for this national um, brand release that they are brand like rebrand if I'm uh that was about to come out and I was so excited y'all I was freaking out like I was really still like just blown away that big brands and companies were interested in working with me and I was getting my feet wet more and more And I had just finished, this was important to this story, I had just finished my first really big illustration gig with the Texas Grocer, H-E-B, which anyone in Texas is very familiar. It's a very loved company. (laughs) Their reputation precedes them. They are such a fabulously run organization, and I love working for them. I've had the fortune to work with them a few times. And... It was the most i'd ever been paid for illustration it was awesome and they had asked what it would cost for them to purchase ownership of the ip or the intellectual property which would because for those of you that are in illustration and you're new um never give away your art ever you always own it forever (laughs) never this is something that should have been obvious to me and wasn't I my degree was in education and so as I began illustrating for other people this was not an intuitive concept but it was one that I learned pretty quickly um you never give the rights to your art unless someone is really willing to pay for it and when HEB asked for um for a quote on purchasing the IP, I did a bunch of research and it was going to be to the tune of five figures at least. And the reason why that's so expensive is because they like, until you really like get with a lawyer or something who can like walk you through the implications, it seems so exorbitant, but really it's not like they could literally take my design and do anything they want with it. They could distort it. They could add another artist's artwork to it. They could break it up into little pieces and put it on posters and car wraps and grocery. Like they could make it, they could turn my work into a whole branding campaign and use it as as part of their whole freaking brand presence, right? Like when you give rights to work, it can be used to any extent, you know, that the client desires. And so it should be priced as such. So I was really grateful that this happened because I had had this experience with H-E-B. And then when this this, um, national brand reached out about working with them, I had a little bit of context for what happened next. Um, So we hop on a phone call and I immediately noticed some interesting like word choices, like right off the bat. And I, I've i talked about this before with people in, in my life. I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast, but when someone's going to ask you for something for free, there's certain words they'll use or certain words they won't use. And if you work for yourself long enough, you start to get really sensitive to what those are. And a lot of times I won't even totally know. I'll just feel it like it's very subconscious. And that was starting to happen. Like The way she was wording things, I noticed that she was very specifically eliminating all conversation about budget and about any, she she kept shifting the conversation away from anything concrete, which is a huge red flag. Um, People that have a budget and have clear expectations for what they want and for what you're going to do will have total comfort not just total comfort with talking really specifically and concretely about details, but they'll want to talk specifically and concretely about details because they have, they're busy and they don't have time to dilly dally, (laughs) you know, people that are vague will be vague because they want something. And that was kind of what was happening. But I thought, you know, surely they're not going to ask me to do this for free because, I mean, this is like a huge brand that was a for-profit organization. There was like paying me my standard rate would have been incredibly easy. And, and sure enough, we get to the, we get to the, like, finally, we get to the specifics of the project. And I find out that they need this design in two weeks, which is considered a rush design. Um, and so, therefore, twice as expensive because I have other clients, like I have tons of other clients, and if i'm I'm gonna have to work late nights to get yours done now, right like this is these are standards I had learned about as I worked for myself and and then, on top of that, they wanted ownership of the work because they wanted to be able to use it on social media on posters and they didn't want it they didn't want to have to pay each time, right and The thing that was really interesting was that the minute I started, like, I began quoting, you know, numbers that I had just recently quoted to HEB, and HEB didn't even bat an eye, because, you know, they knew, like, those are valid numbers for for ownership of art, right? Um, but this particular person, um, had this very visceral reaction. Um, oh my gosh, that's what, you know, no. And I remember being pretty proud of myself. I kept it together and I just said, well, what, what kind of budget are you working with? Like, I'd be happy to work with you. Like, you know, just let me know. And there was this weird, awkward silence and I realized, oh man, they don't have a budget. And sure. And And so I remember, like, I still remember the awkward sort of, well, Rebecca, we were kind of wondering if, you know, this is going to go in front of lots of people and it's going to be national and right. Like saying all the things that come before you're going to, will you do this for free? Because we're going to expose you to a lot of people that will potentially hire you later. And. Devast I was devastated. I, I remember having this sense to get off the phone and just say, Hey, look, like, give me some time. I got to think about this. And that night at dinner, I was running it by Jason. And he, I remember he just laughed and he's like, Oh man, he goes, this is not even remotely relevant at this point. He goes, maybe if you, maybe like three years ago when you were still waiting tables. And, and even then he's like, even then this is not a brand that should be asking anyone to do anything for free ever. <laughs> he said, but he said, Becca, you just got done working with H E B. What's going to happen if you start working on this rush project and then a rush project, another rush project comes in for H E B and they want to pay you like actual legitimate money. But here you are working for free for this brand. Like aren't you'll just, he's like, that's going to wreck you. And It was the first, this was like the first time working for myself that I started to realize the limitations of my container, right? Like as I was getting more exposure and as more people wanted to work with me, I was still making art from this tinier cup, (laughs) right? Uh, You know, the, the, the artist cup of Becca who was still waiting tables and clawing for work. That was the place I was still making art from. I had this, menta- this very small mentality still of, I-, I need to say yes to everyone because I am a newbie. But I wasn't a newbie anymore. I wasn't a newbie. And I still was really struggling with it. I was really struggling even after Jason pointed this out. And it wasn't until he said this next thing that I really wrapped my head around what... A shitty thing this company was asking me to do was he and you know how like and it kind of goes along with the idea of we're fine with like crapping on ourselves but then if we have to crap on someone else we immediately realize like how shitty <laughs> the situation is and jason looked at me and he said fine he said your payment aside he said If you do this for free, he goes, the next small artist that this company targets, they're going to expect that that artist does this for free too. He goes, in fact, I'm pretty sure the reason why this woman 100% expected you to do this work for free is because so many makers have done free work for them. And they just assume that it's how it is. And you're like wrecking the community, right? Like the community of artists were connected to one another and that was what con- that was what convinced me. I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm not just representing myself. I'm not just making things in the name of Becca Barelli Illustrations anymore. I'm a representative for all illustrators and so I I you know what I did, y'all? It was <laughs> I don't even know if I can find the link to this. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but there was this website that a friend of mine sent to me and it was um he was a musician and he had been making music and he's like oh man you gotta check out this website this woman has this auto generator where you can type in the crap that some company or some individual is trying to get you to do for free and then the auto generator would like generate a very polite fuck you response <laughs> like a, po- a professional fuck you response and so I remember I went to this website and and I generated this email and then I like tweaked it so it sounded like my own. And one of the one of the things that the email said was you are a for-profit company and asking me an independent artist who pays my bills by making work to do th- something for free is irresponsible. And no I won't. <laughs> That's basically what I said and I remember being really scared to send that and I knew that my container had expanded that day because when I sent the email off I was scared to send it and I also felt so awesome I felt so awesome because nothing feels ickier than to compromise on your passion and oh, that that was how that was actually that experience created a metric for me. When I feel really good, I know that it was that it was the right thing to do. And and it and it didn't go well. Like the email reply I got was pretty pretty watered down. Oh, we're just not a good fit. Have a nice day. And oh, gross. Yes, we would have been a great fit if you had you know respect, <laughs> but. And and the thing that was really, really special was that like two or three days after that email went out, I got an email from a PTA mom here in Austin. And she wanted to hire me to do an interactive coloring mural for a fundraising event at her kids' elementary school. And then they were going to have the parents at the fundraiser like color this thing, and then they were going to install it in the cafeteria at the school. And so here I had just come from like getting you know completely deflated by this national brand, and and then now I'm getting requested by this PTA mom. You know, surely they're not going to have a budget, right? I I used to be a school teacher, and I had every reason to believe that this was going to be. Another request for me to donate my time. And so she asks if she can take me some, pick me up some lunch and take me to the school. And I'm thinking, okay, like she's gonna get me to fall in love with the kids. She's gonna introduce me to the teachers and then she's gonna drop this ball in my lap. And then it's gonna be so hard for me to say no. So I decide, like, even before I step foot in the school, I'm just gonna let her know outright, like, I'm not in a position to donate the time. I hope that's okay. But if it's not, I understand. So we're, we're like walking up to the school. She's purchased this lunch for me. And I, I kind of, I just drop the ball. I just say, Hey, look, like before we get in there and talk to all the teachers and administrators, I just wanted to be upfront about my situation. And, uh, and she cuts me off and laughs and says, Oh no, girl, we've got, we've got a budget. Yeah, you're, you're fine. Um, she goes, you told me what your price was. So we, so we got it. We uh, actually had it donated by one of the school's partners. There's a local business that's going to be covering your, your labor fee. And that was really, that was really important for me to experience because it made me realize that, um, when you expand, <laughs> the only thing that you push out are the people that, uh, you know, don't, don't have space with you, you know, and it creates all this new space for the people that are, you know, interested in working with you. And I also learned that people will make, they will find the money if, a, if an elementary school can find the money, anyone can find the money. And so so that was huge. I, I I remember that change, that changed how I made things going forward. Because up until that point, I viewed everything from this small cup-sized container that anyone that was willing to pay me or anyone that was willing to give me any kind of no, like attention was valuable. And it was through this experience that I realized, no, I, I actually, when someone requests my time, that's time away from my family. That's time away from my loved ones. That's time away from my art. And, and as my container expanded, so did my peace. There was substantially less stress around requests from organizations to donate my time because I had a whole protocol after that of how I was going to deal with it and not only did I have a protocol but my container was big enough you know instead of this big behemoth of an organization coming up to teacup Becca and asking her to do something instead they were coming up to like mixing bowl Becca (laughs) the secret sauce is you right this The second story is slightly different, you know, because the story of this organization and how I navigated them asking me to donate my time was very concrete and specific, but this next story is much more, like, macro level, I guess, If if I'm trying to think of a way to describe it, and this is kind of, this is kind of how it played out, so... So this, so this, this whole situation with this organization asking me to work for free. This happens in March of 2017. I st- I still have this uncanny memory of timelines, and I'm not totally sure why. But November of 2017 comes, and I'm I have this terribly unsustainable workload. Like I I'm now saying no to. People that ask me to do stuff for free, and it doesn't matter. I'm just up to my nose. My nose is like millimeters above the water of work. Like there's <laughs> so much work, and um, the blowback was pretty real. I've talked about it in past episodes. So I, I was, it was really messing with my mental health. I, I would have these big weepy crying sessions and and really beat myself up for just being crazy and sensitive and. I remember, you know, this is why Jason's my husband, because he used to pull me aside and and like look me square in the face and say, You are literally not crazy. When did you have a time off in the last month, Becca? (laughs) You know? And, but I was, I had this really distorted perception of what a new entrepreneur would do, right? My container around this particular idea was still very tiny um my perception around this idea was very small and and the story that I told myself was I had to constantly be taking on work because at any minute I could fuck it all up because artists aren't good at business and I'm not good at business and all all of the things all the false stories were happening then and and I wasn't able to get ahead of it so my body got ahead of it for me which is very common like every I think every person experiences this at least once in life so I mine was pretty straightforward I was crunching on this insanely long work stretch I was getting a piece of work ready for a show that was happening at a gallery in Austin in a couple of weeks and I was outside in the backyard um, spray painting this canvas and I was squatting over it and when I went to stand up my back seized and <laughs> I was, it was so tremendously painful that I knew whatever I had just done was not going to be good. And I had the sense to like walk, crawl to the bedroom with my phone. And I laid down flat on my back and I called Jason and I said, I think you need to come home from work. I don't, I don't think I can get up. And I, I didn't. Um, for like seven weeks, I didn't walk hardly at all. <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad. And the thing that was, you know, kind of adding insult to injury was that when that injury happened, I was in the middle of negotiating one of the largest contracts I'd ever negotiated up until that point with the downtown Alliance in Austin to do this coloring book for them. And I didn't want to lose the contract. So I, pushed forward with it and illustrated that damn book from bed in tons of pain as well as navigating my web store sales and my wholesale sales and my teaching you know of course had to go completely off the rails because i was immobile and i i came out the other end of that experience feeling physically pretty wrecked and then also that was when the psychological stuff really started to kick in. I stopped sleeping through the night because I was in a lot of pain. I would wake up with panic attacks. Like I I just felt like I was breaking in in all kinds of ways. And my friend Natalia who is the founder of Rebel and Bloom here in Austin. I'm going to leave a link to her social media and website in my show notes if you're ever looking for mental health resources, counseling resources, counseling services. Please check her out. She's freaking magical. Um, and because we're friends, of course, we were never going to work together in a counseling capacity, but she connected me to this really great counselor. And I just thought, okay, I, I need some like work advice because I, I clearly have the most unsustainable relationship with work and, and I'm breaking. Which is, I mean, even just those words are interesting. I, like, it felt like my vessel was just like, hey, look, like Borelli, you got to make a bigger bowl to hold what you're making because this one's about to shatter. That's <laughs> what it felt like. So I go to this counselor and I start, you know, just telling her about my situation with solar entrepreneurship. And I, you know, say, hey, look, like, I, I think I would really benefit from some mental health support around work and career advice because I I think I really need career advice. This is what I this is what I thought we were gonna be doing together. And then within like 15 minutes of talking to her, I'm bawling on her couch about my childhood. And that was surprising. Maybe it's not to people listening to this, but to me it was so surprising. Because I thought my issues were completely about work, right? This is this is part of the way the culture does a disservice to us. Like if the thing that we're making is if we're struggling with making something, the culture has taught us to focus on the thing that we're making. And clearly that's the problem, right? So clearly the problem is my art business is, is, is the problem. My art business is the problem. And, and then talking to this therapist, she was like, no, like you made the business. (laughs) The business is a product of you. And so if the business isn't working, it's because something with you is not working. And that's what we're going to talk about. (sighs) Right. I mean, that's, that's an exhale right there. <laughs> and for the next, next six months, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't crunchy as fuck. Like we were talking about stuff I did not plan on talking about. Talking about stuff that I did not think had, like that I hadn't even thought about in like 25 years, y'all. Like it was crazy. It was Really, I was just like an open wound every day. I I because all of the feelings were at the surface, and and it made me realize as we were, you know, working through healing a lot of things from when I was six, seven, eight year, eight years freaking old, y'all, that were a hundred percent playing massive roles in how I was structuring my business and making things and interacting with clients and all the things that this might very well be one reason why people are terrified to pursue a dream, terrified to make the thing they're passionate about. Because I think deep down in a way that people can't articulate necessarily, but that they viscerally know, is if I make something that's, that's big I will have to look at the ways that I'm not big, the ways that I have kept myself small, the ways that I've been hurt in my life, the limiting stories that keep my container tiny, and I will have to expand them. And that shit is terrifying. (laughs) That's what's terrifying. I think that we tell a story that pursuing a dream is scary. And I don't know if that's always the right story. Maybe it's the right story sometimes, but I think more than that, what's really scary is not the thing that we make being big, it's that we will have to get big as well. And this was really sobering for me because up until this point, one of the narratives that I'd really absorbed from a lot of thought leaders and writers and intuitives and intellectuals that I really respect is that fear is stupid. That fear is is literally like a reptilian brain thing trying to keep us safe from a lion that doesn't exist, right? Like that's how I should interact with fear. And it wasn't until this happened and I started to, you know, get exposed to some new ideas that I learned fear isn't always stupid. (laughs) Fear is... Fear a lot of times can be very stupid. Also fear can be smart. And and it was correct for me to be to be scared of success because the subsequent recreation of myself that happened in 2018 and 2019 was crunchy. And crunchy is a really nice way of saying a little painful <laughs> it was so uncomfortable probably self-inflicted most of it I think I could have probably moved through that period with a lot more grace um but I I, I went down swinging on, on on it for at least the first year <laughs> I was like really resistant to a lot of the things that came up because they were from when I was a tiny human y'all I was not expecting that and i don't i don't mean to suggest by telling this story that that's going to be the case for everybody um my situation is unique to me and i think everyone's is different but i i would venture to say that every maker that pursues a passion or a dream will have to they will have to reckon with the limits of their container and, and learn how to expand them. The secret sauce is you. It's not what you make. <laughs> and this this was an idea that was huge in, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, sponsoring the ideas behind this podcast. Because this would have helped me to know tremendously in the beginning. It was really scary. to; I felt very alone. There was nobody that was really speaking my language when it came to the the deep childhood wounding that was coming up. No one was talking about that. Like I, you know, I was like taking all these workshops and going to all these panels, and everyone was talking about like this is how you expand your social media reach. And oh, it was really it was frustrating. And at one point, I even hired um, a coach uh a business coach and she was awesome but all of the things that we were doing together were technique like tell me like tell me what your dreams are and then we're going to create some actualization around them and and that wasn't what I was struggling with I was already achieving my dreams like way achieving them and it was honestly very embarrassing because mostly we would sit down to work together like twice a month and I would just end up weeping because like five-year-old Becca was just chilling on the surface (laughs) like that was really what I needed help with hence you know sitting down with a counselor for for I would say almost a year and this is not a sexy topic. Like, this is not something that people like to talk about, even when they're talking about their own relative success. Like, nobody wants to talk about their childhood trauma. Like, everyone, like, when you think of, like, self-help people that are, like, wildly successful, like, the one that's at the top of my head is um who's the, who's the guy that's, like, really tan and loud and walks on fire? <laughs> you know he's Italian right why can't I think of his name oh like I'm gonna like have to google it because I'm not totally sure um you all I'm sure you all are following um who I mean I'm not even gonna look it up but he he doesn't you know like like he'll talk about like some of that stuff but mostly it's like as a framework for lots of rah-rah and power, 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 right? Like going into the deep, like crunchy, depressing, mucky work of like looking at your childhood in a meaningful way, that's not something that can happen at a retreat. <laughs> like it's something that take, like it took me two years. Um, and it was honestly the thing I'm most proud of. Like I just finished a mural for Dell Children's Hospital and on the tail end of that got some photos from University Hospital in Cleveland. They just opened their cancer teen cancer clinic and they sent me pictures of the mural we did together two years ago. And I was able to share those publicly online relatively back-to-back a few weeks ago and I got this outpouring of like well wishes from followers and friends and family. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of you. And, you know, there's no shade in in them being proud. Like that's, that's what's on the, that's what's there for them to see, right? Like I'm not getting online and talking about my counseling sessions from two years ago. (laughs) Um, But the mural's, are like so secondary. Like I'm most proud of of that of that counseling. And the reason why is because and even Jason will, will say this to me when we talk about some of the things that I'm encountering and working through in my business right now. He'll say, can you even imagine if this happened to you three years ago? And I know what he means like I would have been ruined (laughs) um I I did I recreated myself and I think everybody who makes things in the world inevitably will have to reckon with doing the same thing and I know, like when I was thinking about like how I was going to wrap up this episode and also just like reflect on these stories, there was part of me that was hesitant to tell them because both of the stories have like a decent amount of like stress attached to them. And that's not sexy and it's not reassuring. And I think that when people are starting off, like hearing that kind of stuff can initially feel unhelpful. Like, you know, when I was first trying to get the courage to jump off that first cliff into the unknown of making art for myself, it probably wouldn't have been helpful if, you know, 2019 Becca was talking over my shoulder saying, just so you know, you're gonna be crying in a therapist's office in two years. Have fun. Like, I... (laughs) So I didn't know if it would be helpful to share that here now. Like I have no idea who's listening to this. I'm guessing everybody's coming from a different place and a different vantage point in their own creative lives and their own dreams for their lives. And also my goal with telling those stories was to normalize the experience because when I was going through it, it just felt really freaky. I was, I really began to to worry, you know, I don't know if I'm doing this right, because everyone else who's having success is, you know, and this is the downfall of social media. Everybody's talking about how happy they are, and really, I was borderline in need of medication <laughs> in 2018. Like, I was that stressed and depressed and all the things, and, um, and I also absolutely didn't talk about that, you know, uh, and, and so I wanted to talk about it here because it was from my vantage point now, the stress and depression was part of growing my container and it's, it should be noted that, um, it's not always a successful thing, right? Like stories don't always have a happy ending nor do they always have sad endings like it's usually a little bit of both like I I had tried this exact same journey as a school teacher in my 20s and I had to leave I had to leave um and from the vantage point of you know winning the race (laughs) I was a failure I I had to leave and, but the lessons from that time then helped me the second time. And, and I was able to overcome that expansion, expansion request in my thirties when I was working for myself. And so, you know, the, I guess I just share that because maybe you'll try to make something and you, and it freaking won't work. <laughs> like you'll try, it's too much, you quit. And that's like so valid that, I catch myself sounding like a valley girl on here sometimes. That's like so valid. <laughs> I get really worked up and valley girl, Becca, she just comes, she just comes right out. But um, when you quit, it's not the end of the story. I, I fully, looking back, quitting teaching was was so, I was in so much despair at the time and I felt like such a failure. And now I'm so grateful I did because What has come since has been so beautiful and beyond expectation. And so this process of expanding our container doesn't always have to lead to some victory. It's just part of this evolution that we're all going through as we make the things that we're here to make. We are the sauce. (laughs) I don't know if this is, you know, sometimes I'll... Sit, I, and this is the truth. I'll sit down to record these and I won't totally know where it's going. And so I'm hoping that this was helpful in some way. Take what resonates with you and leave the rest. But it was interesting timing for me to share this string of stories because I'm going through one of those really uncomfortable expansions right now um, with things in my professional life, things in my personal life. And I'm realizing as these things are now happening during a global pandemic That this is what our world is doing. That we are all in the process of expanding and it's so uncomfortable. And on the other side of it, the soup is going to have so much more space. And the stuff that we make is going to be so much bigger and more awesome because the bowl got bigger. (laughs) We are the secret sauce anyway i love y'all if you like this episode or any episode please consider sharing it um one share will will sometimes triple the amount of people that listen to an episode i don't know if y'all knew that so um thank you to, to those of you that do that on social media or through email or however you share um we have a Patreon now. I'm going to leave, the link is always in the show notes as well as on my website. This episode gets posted to Patreon subscribers first, and as well as other Patreon perks that are available um, on the patron, uh, Patreon website. Go check them out. If you feel like supporting this website, it make I'm sorry, this podcast, it means the world to me. And if you are not in a position to patronize the podcast, thank you for just putting your ears on these episodes. Just showing up and listening is tremendous and sharing it with people or leaving a five star review does mean the world to me. Uh, I, I do fully plan on having guests. I've just had so many weird technical difficulties <laughs> and then all of this weird stuff happens in my world and and it just wasn't going to be time until now. Um, But I think we're back on track for regular episodes coming at you weekly. Thank you. I love y'all.